I wonder, do any of you review what you've already said, like, for hours? Or is that just my neurosis? I mean, I regret things I said in the last episode. I regret things I said yesterday. I'm thinking about my response to the mass shootings from my perspective as as a mom. You know, my son and I were talking. He said out of the blue and without prompt that he'd never considered how much I must have always worried about him because he's trans, gay, and brown, and specifically Asian. I mean, he is half me, but that's not immediately apparent. My point is that as a white mother of a brown child, I'm constantly confronted with my own privilege and in fear of my child's lack of it, which itself is relative because of where we live, because we are relatively safer here. So as a mom in a weird place regarding privilege, I've been thinking a whole lot about mothers who can never escape their fear. And of course, if you're listening to this, I'm guessing you've also been thinking about their children, the victims of what we just have to call contemporary lynchings. Within 24 hours of the Chauvin verdict, six people were fatally shot by police in the U.S. In 2020, there were only 18 days on which the police didn't kill someone. I just want to read some names of the unarmed people who were overwhelmingly, disproportionately more likely to be killed by police. This is a list compiled by Renee Adder, who starts their list in 1973, and there were probably more victims. It would be hard to believe that there weren't, but I thought I'd just read a few each episode. Rita Lloyd, shot, January 27, 1973, New York City. Barry Jean Evans, shot, February 10, 1976, Los Angeles. Randolph Evans, shot, November 25, 1976, New York City. Arthur Miller Jr., chokehold, June 14, 1978, New York City. Eula May Love, shot, January 3, 1979, Los Angeles. Michael Jerome Stewart, Brutal Force, September 15, 1983, New York City. Eleanor Bumpers, shot, October 29, 1984, New York City. Yvonne Smallwood, Severely Beaten, Massive Blood Clot, December 3rd, 1987, New York City. Mary Mitchell, shot, November 3rd, 1991, New York City. Nicholas Haywood Jr., shot, September 27, 1994, Brooklyn, New York. Frankie Ann Perkins, Brutal Force, March 22, 1997, Chicago. Danette Strawberry Daniels, shot, June 7, 1997, Newark, New Jersey.
Welcome to Unruly, the show about women who make their voices heard. No son quietas. Women who are often called loud, fieras, sassy, bravas, and general pains in the nalgas. I'm Mari C., full-time professor, mom, Latina, perpetual pain in the nalgas, and occasional scholar. You know, I was in a conversation with a friend who was trying to describe the podcast, and when I brought up that this upcoming episode was part two of a series about the women of January 6th, he basically said, oh, not just women's rights. So let me explain. This is a women and politics podcast, and yeah, feminist by virtue of the fact that I'm a feminist, but my brand of feminism doesn't, quote, idealize women into powerlessness, end quote, to, quote, a German philosopher. I'm interested in how women mobilize politically and how they can act in ways that I might call feminist, even if they wouldn't. I also fully embrace the reality that women can be just as stupid as anyone else. And despite that, actually because of that, women deserve to be recognized as equals. So ultimately, this is a podcast about women who, period, this is a podcast about women. Well, it's been almost three months since the insurrection. Seems like only yesterday. And we learned a lot more about the terrorists. More than 310 have been charged so far, but we know that more than 800 participated. So, social media sleuths, keep it up. My obsession with Las Mujeres del 6 de Enero, it, it occurs to me that all of my episodes so far have been about American politics, and that's not even my area of expertise. I need to get to the rest of the world, and I will, I promise. Now, scholars who study women and terrorist organizations far more than I do, like Julia Santucci, Regina Waugh, and Hallie Schneer, argue that counterterrorism policies must take women more seriously. Well, yeah. Everybody should take women more seriously. Quote, We must understand how women are radicalized and the roles they play in these organizations. Understanding women's roles in terrorist groups is critical to defeating them. End quote. And that brings me to some legislation that was in the House of Representatives in 2019. March 8th, to be exact, International Women's Day. H.R. 1653. So that's House of Representatives Bill 1653. The Women and Countering Violent Extremism Act. Section 2, Article 3 states, As perpetrators of violent extremism and terrorism, women adopt all roles, including as informants, facilitators, recruiters, and suicide bombers. Empowering women may diminish their support for violent extremist organizations by increasing their sense of agency. End quote. The problem, the bill later points out, is that this role of women as perpetrators has been largely overlooked. Other sections of the legislation bring up that we should consider women as partners in countering terrorism and extremism, because women can detect signs of radicalization in their families and challenge extremist ideas in their homes and communities. And it's been demonstrated that conflict mediation is often more successful when women are included in peace and security planning. Imagine that, when women are included 
Sometimes good things happen. I'll be talking more about that in a future episode. The bill goes on to state that it shall be the policy of the United States to recognize women's varied roles in all aspects of violent extremism and terrorism, including as victims, perpetrators, and preventers, and to promote the meaningful participation of women as full partners in all efforts to prevent and counter violent extremism and terrorism, end quote. According to the bill, this will involve the president's authorization to provide assistance to women's organizations focused on countering violent extremism and terrorism in other countries. These are just the main points. It's not a very long bill, and I keep referring to it as a bill because it was referred to the Committee on Foreign Affairs and the Committee on Armed Services, and then, nada. Not one thing happened. The bill died. But here's my problem with it. The bill talks about women in other countries or foreign women in this country, not really homegrown extremist women like those of January 6th, meaning I think we really need to rethink any future bills like this. Okay, so I went back and looked at some of the folks I discussed in the episode before last to see if there was anything new. Well, now we have the horrible knowledge and some images of Roseanne Boyland being trampled to death. And remember when I spoke about the martyrization of Ashley Babbitt? Well, now it's kind of strange because while we'll, you know, we still see that, see that narrative, but another one has emerged from some among the QAnon community. A post on the Parlor social media site said, quote, This is the face of the known Antifa spy, Ashley Babbitt, who posed as a MAGA patriot, and she deserves what was coming for her. You can't fake patriotism, and her death will not be mourned, end quote. At the same time, another popular post on Parlor says, Ashley Babbitt was a false flag. She's alive. <sighs> I did finally find something about Sandra Sixkiller Kramer. She signed an online petition against child marriage in Maryland on the change.org website. And yeah, I'm down with that. I bet you are too, right? Opposed to child marriage. I should say she allegedly signed, but it's a unique name and it's in the same state. BuzzFeed found her social media, so now we can at least put a, a face to the name. But I can't find that she was charged with anything but unlawful entry. There's nothing. Remember Jenny Cudd, who, a month after January 6th, requested that the judge allow her to go to Mexico for a bonding trip with her employees, and the judge gave her that permission? Well, then she requested and received permission to have her previously approved travel to Mexico changed, Due to bad weather in Mexico. It was changed, you know, only by one day, but still. Then, for a month, a lot of us had been wondering, where's Jenny Cud? At least enough that there was a hashtag, where's Jenny Cud? Did she go to Mexico? If she did, did she ever come back? I checked Mexican newspapers. Nada. Did she ever go? Where is Jenny Cud? We all wanted to know. Then, she popped up again. 
requesting that her trial be moved from D.C. to Texas. Why? Prejudice. The court document states that, quote, The jury who would hear the facts in Washington, D.C. is the most politically prejudiced jury in the entire country. The entire country. Jenny's attorney said that, quote, a more Republican-friendly jury would decide her guilt or innocence more fairly, end quote. Well, I mean, always ask for what you want, I guess. Women don't do it enough. But speaking of asking for what you want, Jenna Ryan, the realtor who traveled to the insurrection on a private plane, remember her? She racked up a couple new charges, and she was kicked off PayPal and, well, two other funding sites. She tweeted, I am accepting donations to pay legal fees and losses due to my arrest and charges by the FBI. She said she raised $1,000. I've been thinking about crowdsourcing my son's tuition bill. If Jenna could get money, do you think I could for a much more noble cause? At any rate, Ms. Ryan switched over to a Christian fundraising site, Give, Send, Go, which is also being used by... Our girl Jenny Cudd and other capital insurrectionists. But Jenna Ryan tweeted, I really don't need the donations. I was just giving people the opportunity to contribute and be blessed by their giving. Whoever donates to me is going to be blessed beyond measure. I don't know what that, I don't know what to make of that. I guess she'd rather be known as a fraud than poor. But listen. I really do need the donations, and I won't lie and say you'll be blessed, because I don't know, but I will bless you beyond measure. Let's pause for a moment, because it's quiz time! And since we're talking about January 6th, which had to do with the certification of electoral votes, this is the Electoral College Edition. First question. Electors in each state and Washington, D.C. cast ballots for presidential candidates. Of the following, who was the most famous elector from New York in 2020? A. AOC. B. Hillary Clinton. C. Stacey Abrams. D. Nancy Pelosi. You're right, it's B, Hillary Clinton. Bill Clinton and Andrew Cuomo were also electors, innocent until proven guilty, I guess. But it wouldn't be surprising for the Electoral College to be open to sexual predators, I guess. Question two. Which district selected all women electors in 2020? A, District 37 of Colorado. B, District 152 of Maine, C, District of Columbia, D, District 7 of Idaho. Yes, you are amazing. C, the District of Columbia. Two of these women electors were frontline workers, Midi Bardanel, chair of the D.C. Board of Nursing, and... Jacqueline Echavarria, a grocery store cashier. 
Thank you both for keeping us healthy and fed. The third woman was Barbara Helmick, Director of Programs at DC Vote, whose mission is to gain DC statehood. I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about that. All right, last question. Who was the first woman president of the Electoral College Board? That's the national, not state, Electoral College. A. Dorothy Houghton. B. Elmina T. Wilson. C. Emily Calkins. D. Ethel Outlands. And your three for three, Dorothy Houghton. Follow up for extra credit. In what year did she serve? A. 1980. B. 1956. C. 1920. D. 2020. The answer is B. So, Dorothy Houghton was the first president, woman president, of the Electoral College Board in 1956. Eisenhower later named her the director of the Office of Refugees, Migratory, and Voluntary Assistance. I was thinking, you know, looking around, seeing what's going on in the country these days, that we must not have that office anymore, right? But I checked, and we actually do. It's now the Bureau of Population, Refugees, and Migration. And it describes itself as the Humanitarian Bureau of the State Department. I mean, whatever, but I guess pointing out that it's the Humanitarian Bureau underlines that the rest of the State Department is certainly not. Anyway, if you didn't know any of the answers to those quiz questions, don't worry. I didn't either until I started researching. Back to the show. Here's a more depressing update. Riley June Williams, the one who allegedly stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop, is being held under house arrest at her mom's with an ankle monitor. She's supposed to be having a mental health assessment, and she can't have any internet access. She gets a flip phone to talk to her lawyer. Given her social media presence, the flip phone is probably the worst punishment she's ever received. And then a video surfaced. Maybe you saw it? Super creepy. A woman in a skull mask dancing, then giving a Heil Hitler salute with a voiceover saying, There is no political solution. All that is left is acceleration. Heil Hitler. Ugh, just saying that. Accelerationism is the belief that the collapse of a society is inevitable and coming soon to a country near you. Her lawyer said it was a joke to mock the neo-Nazis. Really? She went through a lot of trouble buying all of the Nazi accoutrements, taking selfies of herself with that asquerosa mask around, around town, like in clothing stores. And then there were the posts that surfaced. Even after Riley scrubbed her social media accounts, these provided evidence that she has, in fact, used racial slurs. That she was a fan of Holocaust denier Nicolas Fuentes, and even managed to get a picture with him. So, a joke? I'm not buying it. 
I do hope she gets mental health services, though. I hope all of these folks do. I hope everyone does. Riley's next hearing was supposed to be on March 25th, but there's nothing. I've been, you know, refreshing the news on my phone every 10 minutes. There's nothing. I just want to know. You know, Riley June is from Pennsylvania, and several of the latest folks who've been arrested are also from Pennsylvania, putting the state in first place for a number of citizens arrested for the January 6th insurrection. Yeah. So let's look at some of the newer arrests, or at least they were newer when I started writing this weeks ago. Rachel Powell from Pennsylvania, a.k.a. the Bullhorn Lady, a.k.a. the Pink Hat Lady. Meeting, compañeras. A little tip. If you're going to engage in insurrection, wear a mask and avoid identifying clothing. Pink Hat Lady, Ms. Powell, is a mother of not five, not seven, but eight kids, and she's a single mom. I'm a single mom of one. If I had seven more, I would definitely not have time for terrorism. But Rachel Powell was a fitness instructor, so she's probably in better shape than I am. She does yoga, eats organic, homeschools her kids, sells cheese at the farmer's market. And this caused me a lot of cognitive dissonance at first. But as I've been doing more research on women, especially women of QAnon, I'm starting to understand it. And looked at my own past. I did yoga. Used to go to the farmer's market every week. I was into alternative medicine. I'm still a vegetarian. I made my son's organic baby food by hand. And I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but there was a time when I was pregnant that I was a little skeptical about vaccines. I know, I know. I was impressionable. Luckily, I stepped back from the edge. But I can see how one who is already suspicious of or uncomfortable with mainstream society and being barraged with social media about various dangers, you know, I can see them going down that road. And this damn plague has been a stressor that has really pushed some folks, you know, from zero to the revolution. Because Rachel didn't start out as a Trump supporter. She didn't even vote for him in 2016. She said he was vulgar. She didn't like his environmental policies. Then came COVID, corresponding to Rachel's increasing extremism, especially about COVID restrictions as infringements on individual liberty. She posted on Facebook, It isn't too late to wake up, say no, and restore freedoms. There's nothing wrong with that sentiment in and of itself, but we have seen where it can lead in the wrong hands and minds. So she voted for Trump in 2020, believed the election was stolen, and ended up at the Capitol on January 6th, smashing a window with a pole, calling out orders with the bullhorn. She went prepared. She was so prepared that she had more than one go bag with zip ties, rope, duct tape, knives, ninja throwing stars, and ammunition for an AK-47, but no AK-47. I couldn't find out if she also had uh, a pair of clean shawnees in each bag. Probably, though, right? Because moms are generally prepared. 
I got a lot of my information from the New Yorker because when the FBI issued a bulletin about Ms. Powell, instead of turning herself in, she went and gave a two-hour interview to the magazine. And the judge still let her go home. I mean, she's got eight kids, which I guess they think is an indicator that she won't flee. But she also did just drop the kids off without a word when she, de- when she went down to D.C. on the 6th. I don't know. Let's move on to two more Pennsylvania women, one of whom owns a gym, was a personal trainer. She's Dawn Bancroft, who went down to D.C. with her friend, Diana Santos-Smith. Maybe you've seen the selfie video in which Dawn says, We broke into the Capitol. We got inside. We did our part. She also said, We're looking for Nancy to shoot her in the friggin' brain, but we didn't find her. She apparently sent the video to her kids, and, and then she told them to delete everything she sent. Another pro tip, compañeras, in addition to the mask and no identifying clothing, the most obvious, do not expect that your kids are going to do what you ask, ever. So, Diana Santos-Smith, she lied to the FBI, said she didn't enter the Capitol building. Then, when the Fed showed her the selfie she's in with Dawn, she admitted that she was inside, but that they had heard everyone was being let in. But then someone else's souvenir video showed Diana climbing in through a broken window. Their charges are relatively minor now, but Dawn Bancroft did lose her CrossFit affiliation. Did you also hear that CrossFit just publicly denounced Marjorie Taylor Greene, who also had been an affiliate gym owner? Though, I mean, if if you know anything about CrossFit, the company, I can see why these women would find it attractive. Now, there have been a number of women whose stories have come out in the past month. I won't cover all of them, and honestly, there's not a lot of information on all of them. But here's one last quick story about Morgan Lloyd, an Indiana QAnoner who, true to form, posted pictures of herself at the Capitol on Facebook saying, I'm here, best day ever. We stormed the Capitol building. Me and Donna Bissy were the first 50 people in. Well, on January 22nd, Morgan went to the sheriff's department to, to do what? To get a firearms permit. One of the employees recognized her, and the sheriff called the FBI, who arrested Morgan and her literal partner in crime, Donna Suvisi. Final pro tip, compañeras. If you know or even suspect there are videos of yourself participating in an insurrection, maybe because you took some of those videos, Don't go to the sheriff's department. Listen, I understand that you had some reason to believe that law enforcement would be on your side, but given the attack on the Capitol Police by your compatriots, you should probably just lay low. Accept the consequences. If you really wanted a gun, you should have thought about that before you went and stormed the center of government. Okay, The next episode will be coming out soon, and I've got what I think is a real bombshell. I've already written it. It's part three of the series, and we're going to talk about the Oath Keepers, among others. There will be some poetry against the patriarchy and some new research about women extremists. I hope you'll tune in. So, hasta la próxima. Go rock the world with your beautiful selves. 